You're listening to DraftKings Network. Looks like we need to go search for a vanishing three-pointer, fellas. Another one. But it's a different line that's being stepped on this time, Tom. It's not the three-point line. It's the out-of-bounds line. Out-of-bounds, Luka Doncic. Was it actually stepped on, though? Luka doesn't think so. According to Tim McMahon, Ben McMahon's article, Luka said, quote, I didn't think I was out-of-bounds, so I don't know. I saw some videos, and it doesn't seem like I even touched the line, and my heel was up, so I don't know. Mm, The referees at the replay center figured out that his heel touched the ground on the line. He was out of bounds, and therefore they wiped away the three-pointer, and then they figured out, wait a minute, there's still two seconds left. Can't let those two seconds disappear. Of course not. The three did not count, and we'll play the last uh, two seconds of the half to start the third. So Luca out of bounds there. Yep, when he does that step back to get a little space, that heel rolls over to the out of bounds. So they're going to play the final two seconds. Here's the best part. They decided they couldn't bring the players back out because a Simon Says halftime show was out there. Can't interrupt that. Yo, by the way, that guy, let me just say right now. Oh, here we go. One of my favorite halftime acts. <laughs> yes. This guy's incredible. If you told me Simon Says is a halftime act, I'm like, that sounds dumb. Until you see these grown adults who can't keep up with this dude who's talking 100 miles an hour. Simon Says, touch your head. All right, now rub your belly. Oh, Simon didn't Says. I've always wanted, well, I haven't always. You think you'd be good at it? I think I'd be awesome at it. I'm great at listening, as Maze can attest to. <laughs> What was that? I mean, Steve Max. Is that his name? The halftime act. His name's not even Simon Fraud. I don't know his name, but he's got one of those Britney Spears, Madonna, like earpiece mics on. So we can't interrupt this guy because Amin loves him too much. No, he's too good. So we bring everybody out before the third quarter. Let's play the last two seconds of the second quarter. What happens? Flacco gets it off. It'll count him. Go! Oh, he made it! Oh, well, that's how you play the last two seconds of the half. And, and Luca's still just upset that they called out of bounds on him and took away three of his points. So that's a six-point swing, boys. And this dude got brought in because Mike Malone, the coach of the Nuggets, had seen in practice that this dude loves shooting half-court shots. What a great coach. (laughs) This dude is addicted to taking half-court shots in practice, and it's also because he's Slovenian, and he and Luka Doncic practice half-court shots and have competitions against each other all the time. So Luka is to blame here, not Steve Max and Simon Says. Is it this Luka's fault? The student has become the teacher? You're supposed to have the scouting report, man. You're supposed to have all the inside knowledge of all these guys. When we used to play the Utah Jazz and Jaron Collins was on our team, Jaron Collins led the scout. Like, he would stand up in front of the team and, like, go through all the plays because he played in Utah for so long. Double agent. So, yeah, Luka Doncic, you want to give us a heads up? That this asshole here is like a half-shot trick artist? Simon Says hit the half-court shot. This is like the conservation of points and time? Is this a new theory? Instead of Luca, Luke Quantum? You know what was not conserved? The Mavericks win. They lost by one. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience 
than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but... all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I am joined by my five-star Illuminati generals, the presidents, the executive board, the cabinet. Shout out to FIFA, the Exco is a new term I'm working into my vocabulary now. Amin El Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. Fellas, we've got quite the show on this Thanksgiving week. A lot to be grateful for. A lot of drama around the league. There's referees getting their roll on constantly. We're going to get to the bottom of that. We need to talk about all the travels in the NBA. But first. You are listening to The Agenda with Amin El Hassan and Tom Haberstroh. There have been a lot of props in the NBA that have gotten notoriety because of random things that happened. And the AC game, remember that, where somehow the number one storyline in the NBA finals is an AC unit. The tunnel in Staples Center. Remember that? That had a life of its own. The Clippers and the Rockets had a little brouhaha happen, courtesy of a secret tunnel, quote unquote secret tunnel. But a ladder, guys? A ladder. Oh, welcome. Welcome to the family. We've been waiting for you. I just think like the AC and the tunnel and all these other inanimate objects throughout NBA history are, are sitting in a room and the door opens, they all turn around and here comes a ladder like, oh, <laughs> this is the closet of the MVP conversation bar. Yeah, <laughs> the closet is where all these things are hanging out. Ladders haven't been used since dunk contest days. What happened with the ladder, Tom? Well, the ladder got knocked over, Maze. The ladder got knocked over. There was an altercation, multiple altercations involving Giannis and Adekumpo, the Greek freak, just wanted to get some work in after a horrible loss. And as he's getting some shots up after the game in Philly, Montrez Harrell put the kibosh on that, said no. Pretty much he took the ball. (laughs) He grabbed the ball and it said, this ain't Milwaukee. And then later on, from the athletic story by Joe Varden, after Giannis left the court, the Nazis tried to talk to Montrez Harrell, to which Montrez Harrell responded at separate times, I'll beat your ass, and you better send that shit back to the locker room. Montrez Harrell basically takes on both Anadokounmpo brothers and says, yeah, let's go. Why don't you get up on out here? And they didn't do anything. They just said, we're just trying to shoot, man. Like, we're just trying to get in some work. And the issue is... 
there was a game the following night. This was a Friday. They had another game on Saturday. And the video guys and the cameramen and the workers, the technicians had to get on a ladder to get some equipment down. And Giannis wasn't having it. First, he got his ball stolen. And then he went into the locker room and got two more balls so he could get some shooting done. And then the ladder came out. And he wasn't having it. He got blocked by Montrez Harrell, got stolen, I guess, and then got blocked by a ladder. And the recourse was, I'm going to move this ladder and get it out of the way. And I'm just sitting here like, man, he was burnt because he lost and he's taking it out on a poor dude who's just trying to do his job. I mean, he's just trying to do his job. Yeah, except, man, I don't know. I opened up my third eye a little bit, man. And at first, I, like you, Tom, mm. said this guy's just trying to do his job and this asshole NBA millionaire basically prevents him from doing his job and going home to his family. But then I watched it again and Giannis moves the ladder and the guy never exchanges words with Giannis. He just silently continues to do this. And I thought to myself, well, that's odd. He doesn't beckon for arena security or even for a police officer or anybody to come help him do his job. By basically saying, escort this man off the court. The court is now off limits. He just does this asshole routine by himself, which leads me to believe Tom Abistrow and Anthony Mays. This man went rogue, rogue on the orders, or perhaps just full of bravado that was fueled to him by one Montrez Harrell. All this talk about a job, you got Montrez Harrell saying, I'm just doing my effing job. He yelled at Giannis, I took the ball, get the F out of here, I'm just doing my job. And then this ladder guy, a rogue on his own, just trying to do his job, quote unquote. And there you have Giannis in the article saying, it's just funny to me because I have a basketball court at my house and my kids always go and shoot. And whenever it gets to 9 p.m., I go and I take the ball from their hands. I feel like we're more mature than that. We are professional athletes, I mean, that try to do our job. You can go and ask Harold. I offered him to shoot. Let's shoot together. Yeah, he did. He's saying he's just trying to do his job. Now, Richard Jefferson chimed in on all this and said, protocol dictates that the home team gets preference. So if there's one basket that can be shot on, Montrez Harold does, in fact, get the preferential treatment on having access to that rim. If right of first refusal. The right of first refusal. The question I keep coming back to is, why is there only one rim that's operable and is this guy just, quote unquote, doing his job or is this guy perhaps part of a larger in a little bit of a tool of the greater propaganda that's happening here? Because, again, it's so odd that he wouldn't ever speak to him directly and say, hey, I got to get this done. My boss is going to be up my ass and slash or never turns to arena security who are always there. Remember, Tom, whenever you have players on the floor, no matter how late it is and the game's over, there's always going to be A, arena security, and B, a police officer in the vicinity. Yep. They don't go home until those guys have cleared out, basically. So the idea that this man, his only recourse would be to sheepishly move the ladder back, just seems a little odd. Oh, and by the way... Can't say this with complete certainty, but I'm fairly sure, guys, that Philly is a union arena. Meaning, 
If we go over one second over time, guess what I get paid for? The entire hour. So if anything, this guy would be in his best interest for Giannis to dawdle and waste his time so he could get a little bit extra squadoosh in his check rather than trying to rush and be out of here as soon as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, not saying that there's a fire, but it sure is a little smoky up in here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And Giannis appears to not want that smoke. He didn't want any of that smoke from Montrez Hill. And it reminds me, like, this is why you have that veteran in that locker room. You know, we do remember the fact that James Harden and Joel Embiid weren't around. They've been hurt. And Armelo's not playing. Dwight Howard's in Taiwan playing. You gotta need these Udonis Haslam's, the Montrez Harrells, to lay down the law. Yep. And hold fort. This is their house. We must protect this house. And if you talk to the Sixers, that was a big focus of their off-season acquisitions. It wasn't just let's get the band back together. It was let's get guys who will exemplify and personify the toughness that we want to have. P.J. Tucker, DeAnthony Melton, Daniel House, and of course Montrez Harrell. These are all tough sons of bitches out here, man. They're not here to make friends. Oh, oh, Giannis, can I shoot with you? No, they don't do that. The fact that Montrez Harrell says to Giannis, this ain't Milwaukee, indicates there are no olive branches here. This is a hostile ground, and I am here to protect that hostile ground, and I will use any and every tool at my disposal, including ladder guy let's talk about this ladder so Giannis doesn't want to leave the court because he's superstitious that he has to knock down 10 free throws in a row or he's look at me Louie oh yeah look at me Louie and I was thinking about Monty Williams doing the look at me Louie with Giannis maybe he is learning a little bit about how to look at himself. I think the look at me, Louie here is the ladder guy. Sorry. Whoa. <laughs> for insisting on dragging the ladder Whoa. back. It's a little look at me ladder. Ladder me, Louie. I guess Giannis is not familiar with the concept of bad juju from walking underneath the ladder because he comes dangerously close and then he shoves the ladder over. But he doesn't know if he should apologize because he just says the ladder just fell. He's saying the ladder took a charge, flopped. It's not his fault. He doesn't have anything to apologize for. I don't know, man. I'm team ladder. I mean, what if this is not a ploy to get extra overtime or trying to get that extra pay? What if this is all about workman's comp? That's certainly the first time I saw the video. I thought about that, where this guy was hoping that something awful would happen so that he could show up the next day with his neck in a neck brace. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I like to think that this is all a concerted effort from the Sixers organization. Yeah, Giannis has taken his lumps from the media, from Twitter. He's now got Mike Budenholzer calling out the referees and saying, hey, we need to protect Giannis. Kind of like Harold protected that house. He needs protection. We need to protect our stars. Looking like Giannis is a little insecure right now. Maybe he's not saying it, and it's his coach saying the things that maybe Giannis wants to say is, I'm getting fouled all the time. These hits, I mean, the hit with Jeremy Grant just clubbed him across the chest, in the neck, and then Justice Winslow serving his own justice, wrapping his arms around his neck, Giannis's as he's falling down. I think Justice was actually trying to help him, like brace his fall. 
trying to catch him a little bit? No, he was trying to keep Giannis's wins low. Yeah, that's what was happening there. Now, Tom, look, here's the thing. This is not a new complaint in the NBA. Every era has its guy who's just bigger, stronger than everybody else that a regular foul does not take down. And so people have to literally wind up and club the shit out of him. Before Giannis, it was LeBron. And before LeBron, it was Shaq. And before Shaq, it was, I don't know, like Moses Malone or someone or Wilt. So this isn't new. This is more in the long line of I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, and as a result, you have to really try to inflict damage in order for me to even flinch a little or move. So I would say to Bud, hey, teach your guy how to flop better because ultimately that's how you get those calls. It's the same thing with James Harden, by the way, who also similarly takes a beating. And people like to say James Harden is a flopper. But what I like to differentiate about Harden versus a lot of other floppers is he actually is drawing the contact. He's merely exaggerating its effect because if James Harden were to be James Harden sounds the acting, he would be getting hit all day long and probably not being impacted at all because he's a big, strong, sturdy guy. So in order to get the call... Every time he gets hit, he has to flail. He has to pop his head and throw his arms up because that's the only way the refs recognize, oh, shit, he just got hit. Just occurred to me, maybe instead of taking free throws, he should have been in class with James Harden learning how to flop. Mm. And you know who might be also attending that class? Who's that? LeBron James. He's got to learn how to flop. No time like year 20 to add something to your package, to your repertoire. I had to learn how to flop or something. Seriously, I need to learn how to do that. Swipe my head back or do something to get to the free throw line because it's the I missed it. It's, it's getting a little, it's getting too repetitive. It's three games straight if I missed it. Not I need to flop, Tom. It's not I need to flop. I gotta learn how to flop. I need to learn this this mystical art that I've never had to practice before. Teach me your ways, Patrick Beverly, as my teammate. Can I be your Padawan? That's what LeBron is insinuating, is that somehow he's never tapped into the dark side of the force. Oh, force chokes and electric lightning coming out of my fingers? Oh, I thought that was just an accident. No, 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 no. Giannis needs to learn how to flop. Needs to learn how to sell, I should say, not flop. But I also want to talk about something that Giannis doesn't need to learn from the Sixers, from James Harden and Joel Embiid, who's also a world-class flopper. And that is foot health. What's going on in Philadelphia, guys, as they're dropping like flies one foot at a time? First it was Harden, then it was Maxi. now... It's Joel Embiid. Keep your third foot broken. Guys, you know what today is, right? The day before Thanksgiving. It's the day before Thanksgiving, and this is the biggest day of the year by the numbers of travel. Everyone's getting on a plane or a train or a bus or a car to go see loved ones or whatever. But the traveling, as it turns out, is not just limited to this day and not just limited to Thanksgiving celebrators. Nope, we got a big travel happening all across the NBA. And it all started, not at the beginning of the season, Tom, but when? Sometime around a certain hero ball. Whoa, you don't want to miss this next segment. What does that look like? 
you doing your own research? Are you doing studies yourself? Are you in the lab on a nightly basis? What are you doing? Do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. Doing your own research. I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to tell everyone that this is it. For me, it's just um, just giving everyone a chance to do their own research and find their own knowledge. That's right. Amin, Maze, it is Thanksgiving week, the time of year where we take time and pay our respects to those things that we are grateful for. As you said, it's one of the biggest traveling days of the year on the calendar, if not the greatest travel day. And in the NBA, that is an understatement. What is happening across the league this Thanksgiving, I am grateful for stathead.com, which has given me the tools to do some digging. That's right. Huh. I have done some research. <laughs> and in this segment, I don't know if we've talked about this before on the show, but we should name it Tom did his own research. I'm thankful for such a creative title. If you've been watching the NBA lately, probably noticed something that's been a little odd, something that I hear a lot from non-NBA fans, you know what I mean, Maze, mm -hmm. when people are like proud to not watch the NBA, they always talk about it's too hard to follow, who's on what team, too many games, I don't know, I like college basketball better, but one of the things I often hear about is that they just travel all over the place and the referees never call it. This is like one of the number one complaints I hear. I mean, I don't know. Do you guys have any others that people are proud to denounce the NBA for? Well, they travel a lot is definitely one of them. The other one is it's too predictable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's not enough surprise. It's just the best teams win every year. And meanwhile, we have Utah at the top of the West standings. But anyway, I digress. There is a traveling party going on in the NBA, an all-out travel rager. Okay? What we are seeing is something that wasn't called at the beginning of the year is now being called a lot more, twice as often. It's the travel call. The Miami Heat have certainly noticed. I mean, it's funny because, Tom, you asked me before we recorded, what do I think is the reason? And I said, POE, point of emphasis. This is, this is the thing where the referees have their meeting before the season starts and they come up with a bunch of things that they decided this year we're going to cut back on. They show the tape. They send the tape to all the teams. They send referees to every team to explain these things. And what we'll see in the first couple of weeks or even month is, ooh, the refs are really calling X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. What makes your data very interesting, Tom, is the point of emphasis apparently took a month off to start the season and didn't start kicking in until the start of November. It's very odd. Very odd what's happening. Let me peel back the layer a little bit here. Peel it for him. Peel back some eyelids, open them up. He and peel it. On a typical game in the NBA over the last couple of years, at least this was the case, especially last year, a team might get called for one, maybe two travel violations. Oftentimes they wouldn't get called for any like, there would be games where they just wouldn't get called for travel. A lot of zeros. Last Wednesday, the Miami Heat were whistled for not one, not two, not, not three, three, not, not four, four, not five, not six. But seven travel calls in their eight-point loss to the Toronto Raptors. Seven times. Yeesh. And you might be thinking to yourself, is this payback? Is this overcompensating? Is this a conservation of travel? Frequent flyer miles? 
What's this about? Maybe the referees just opened their third eyes to all the traveling that's been there all along. Hmm. You might remember when the Heat benefited from a critical travel call that was not called. November 2nd, fellas, Tyler Hero made a game-winning three-pointer at home, and it should have vanished. You know why? I was at that game. It was against Sacramento. That's right. The Kings, he shuffled his feet to avoid a contest from Terrence Davis, sidestepped, and he got an open look into more space. And right in front of the referee, no travel was called. He hit the shot the Heat win the game. And here is Mike Brown after the game. Uh, Tyler Hero's a great player. Um, but at the end, of, he traveled. He traveled on the last play. And I would be... I would not be doing my job if I didn't come up here and protect my guys. My guys fought their behind off um, for close to 48 minutes. And to pump fake uh, on a side, then sidestep, and then one sidestep or hop, and then one, two in a shot, and not make that call, uh, to me, it's just, just unbelievable. And... You know, that's I, I, not why we lost the game, although um, I didn't think we got a fair whistle. Did, I saw you kind of telling the refs right after, you know, you thought it was a travel. Did they say anything to you? Yeah, they said it wasn't. They said it wasn't a travel. And so, that, I mean, if that's not a travel, I, I don't, Slate, I, I don't know what the definition of a travel was, is. And, you know, again, I, I don't know. Maybe they're caught up in the excitement of the crowd. Maybe... It's the Miami Heat and we're the Sacramento Kings and it's Tyler Hero and it's a last second shot and maybe they're caught up. I don't know. So here we have a classic case of a coach after a loss, not exactly blaming the officials, but definitely criticizing them about this play. How do you miss a travel on a game winning shot? And usually the NBA will punish the aforementioned coaches that take issue with the referee calls. But the NBA did not levy a fine against Brown. I mean, I don't see any statement from the NBA that Mike Brown, the coach of the Sacramento Kings, is fined $15,000. They conveniently swept that one under the rug, Tom. We're just supposed to look the other way. Maybe, just maybe, fellas. They didn't send him that fine and ask for the check because they agreed with him. The last two-minute report the NBA graders said the referees, John Goble, Ray Acosta, Michael Smith, they missed it. Should have been called to travel. This month, through November 21st, the referees have called 534 traveling violations, according to the truth purveyors at stathead.com. That's a lot. And you might be asking yourself, how much? How much is that? Give me a barometer. Give me something to compare that to. Yeah. Well, in the entire month of November last year, I mean, uh-huh. that same number was not 534. It was not 434. It was not 334. It was 271. Are you telling me that we have almost double the number of traveling violations through the same amount of time as we did a year ago, Tom Haberstroh? That's right. Okay, what bee got in somebody's bonnet about traveling? Because again, as we've demonstrated, if this were in fact the point of emphasis, on the wrong syllable, we would have gotten this from game one. We would have gotten a flurry. But Tom, I'm looking at this chart that you sent me, and it clearly shows that it's going up from the beginning of the season. That we started with a modest, I would say, 1.8 travels per game 
and we're all the way up to 4.1 travels per game. It's doubled even within the context of this season. Yeah, in the month of October, I mean, the average number of travel calls in a game, according to stathead.com, was 1.7. In November, that has skyrocketed to 3.5. Doubled. So yeah, we're going to double what we had last year. And we've also doubling the rate we have saw in October, in the beginning of the season. So something happened. Something happened. And let me remind you, the next day after Brown's comments, we saw another eight travel calls in two games, four per game. And is it a coincidence that the referees called a season-high number of travel calls, four per game, right after the Tyler Hero mishap on, not national TV, but it made national headlines? It made news. And it continues to be newsworthy as the Kings continue this amazing stretch of play that they've had in which they've won eight of their last 10 games with the only two smudges being one, a foul call on Kevin Herter at the end of the game against Golden State, and two, the Tyler Hero uncalled travel. That's right. That uncalled travel is a mark that as long as Sacramento plays well, continues to remind us that traveling was not called on that day, and everything we see after it seems to me, Tom, to my naked third eye, a compensation of that one event. Hmm. Preaching, I mean, because we saw 11 traveling violations in that Toronto-Miami game the other night. Crew chief John Goble made eight of the 11 calls, and Michael Smith made two of them. Brother from another. Michael Smith. Oh, not that Michael Smith. Wait, that's right. Michael Smith was working that Tyler Hero game, too. Whoa! And the dots, ladies and gentlemen, have been connected. I will just mention that Michael Smith was on that Tyler Hero game, so a cynic might point out that the conservation of points or the conservation of travel calls or whatever you want to call Michael Smith might issue a makeup call or calls plural. And a cynic might point out that Michael Smith's two travel calls that he called in the Miami game were against the Miami Heat. But that's a cynic's point of view, okay? The Charlotte Hornets also know, I mean, they have a reason to be upset about a travel whistle. This time, John Goble's brother, you point out, brother. From another. Jason Goble, the other night. Yeah, there's lots of family members in the referee corps, if you remember. Yeah, it's almost like someone, I don't know, let's, that's another Illuminati for another day. We'll just say Tim Donahue was the nephew of a certain referee, NBA referee. So it's all it's all a family thing. Anyway, Jason Goble made a very controversial call late in the Charlotte-Miami game the other night in which Kelly Oubre was whistled for a travel late in the game when he caught an inbounds pass about 40 feet away from the basket. And on the last two-minute report, the NBA's graders said it was the correct call. But look at the Jimmy Butler arm on Oubre that looked like it pushed him off balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an illegal defensive move. You can't put your hand on a guy 40 feet away from the basket and lock him up like that. No, you cannot. Did the last two-minute report mention that from Jimmy Butler? No, it didn't. Convenient. And you know why? Why? Because it needed another travel call. Conservation of calls. That's right. Even Stevens. Take $20 bill, throw it out the window. You'll make it back. So the travel calls, I mean, they've doubled this season compared to last and doubled since October. 
I don't know what to make of it. I don't know why the NBA is doing this. I know what to make of it. You know what double is in Spanish? Diablo? Doble, which rhymes with goble, <laughs> of which we have two. Jason and John, <laughs> ipso facto Illuminati math has just been executed. Welcome to class. You just mentioned the two gobles. I just opened up my third eye wide open. And guess what? It's the day before Thanksgiving. About to eat some turkey. Gobble, gobble. I know you're all eagerly anticipating football Illuminati coming soon. A lot of fishy things happening out there hidden behind the shield, but something else is underway. Something overseas where you can't get a beer. That's right. Football Illuminati. Yes. I mean, any thoughts on first couple games of the world cup? Anything suspicious standing out to you? I like many people jumped at that. Offside call that took away the first goal from Ecuador. I sat there and I did the Will Smith home, you know, Fresh Prince. That doesn't add up. That math is not mathing. But other than that, I see nothing but a nice, clean tournament. Nothing to see here. That's right, Maze. If we had a football Illuminati, that episode would last all of five minutes and we'd be done. We'd talk about that offside call. And then we go back to saying how awesome... And above board, everything is in this very clean, non-corrupt World Cup. Yeah, you're right. FIFA's never messed up, ever. Never. Perfect record. I watched a documentary on Netflix, and Seth Blatter assured me that there is no corruption in FIFA. And who am I to question the great Seth Blatter, the former president of FIFA? Wait, wait. I'm seeing this headline here. Maybe you guys can help me out. From Adam Crafton of The Athletic, a quote he sold himself to the devil. Messi, 2030, and a very uncomfortable deal with Saudi Arabia. Wow, look at that. Look at that, I mean, just, just a cursory Google, and we've got ourselves the story. You want me to open your third eyes on this one? All right, here it is. Messi's a fraud, and so any excuse he can find for losing because he's a loser that makes it seem to be tied to anything other than the fact he is a fraudulent player makes him feel better. How about that for a third eye open? This past May, a fresh development arose when Messi, arguably the greatest and most famous football player on the planet. He's not either of those. This is Crafton's editorializing here, okay? Yeah, well, I'm editorializing his editorial. He signed a lucrative agreement to promote the state of Saudi Arabia the first thing to say is that the agreement is to promote tourism in that country rather than a 2030 World Cup bid itself. Is this convenient to mean that there is a conflict of interest that is proposed here to explain why Messi might have not performed well in the biggest upset in World Cup recent history? Are you saying these are excuses? Yeah, I've got an explanation. He never shows up in the World Cup. 
Maze, run the Cicero sound one last time. Here's the fraud element of Messi that no one wants to talk about. <laughs> and I said fraud. Domestically, he's won everything there is to win at Barcelona. Yeah. And he, he started Barcelona, what, 13? Yeah. He's won everything there is to win. Here's how you know what Messi's about. When they were winning the best things at Barcelona, was Messi, was Xavi, Iniesta, David Villa, that, that was a team. When they would break from 2008 on and go their separate ways for major tournaments, Xavi and Iniesta and David Villa and all those Spanish guys from Barca were winning tournaments. Three in a row. Euro 2008, World Cup 2010, Euro 2012. Good math. Messi, the second he steps on a field without that core, is average. And you have seen it in Copa Americas. You have seen it in World Cups. He's now gone 675 straight minutes without scoring a World Cup goal. Because Xavi's not there. Because Iniesta's not there. Because David Villa's not there. And the best players I've ever seen in my life can play with anybody. Cristiano Ronaldo can play with any... Michael Carrick sucks. Wait, Darren Fletcher sucks. Why are you stabbing Michael Carrick? I'm making a point. I'm making a point that Ronaldo didn't have, didn't have Xavi. Ronaldo didn't have Iniesta. Zinedine Dan could play with anybody. And he did it constantly at Juventus, for France, Real Madrid, scoring in the final at Hampton Park in Scotland. He could play with anyone. Ronaldo, fat Ronaldo from Brazil, could play with anybody and win. That's greatness. That's a GOAT. That's a guy you respect. Fraud.